0: Exodus. And we're going to uh, find ourselves in chapter 5. So Exodus chapter 5. As you uh, turn there in your Bibles. In Exodus, so just so we get a timeline so far. Exodus chapter 1 we uh, saw the cruel bondage of the children of Israel. They had lived in peace there for some time until a new king arose who did not know Joseph and he enslaved the people because they were great in number. And so that's chapter 1. And then chapter uh, 2, 3, and 4, we saw uh, the chosen vessel that would deliver the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And that chosen vessel is Moses. And so God has um, gotten a hold of Moses. And Moses, now we saw, after making excuses, after asking questions, uh, challenging the Lord, Uh, Finally, even getting some things right and ordered in his life, he finally ends up going to Egypt, meeting Aaron, his uh, brother, in the wilderness, and then going to Egypt. And so now we come to chapter 5. And so from Exodus chapter 5 through chapter 14, we're going to see... And at first I, I just wrote down, I thought, we're going to see the struggle between Moses and Pharaoh. But I don't think that's the only struggle we see we're going to see the struggle between Moses, the children of Israel, and Pharaoh. (laughs) Because we're going to find that Moses is going to have to deal with the opposition of Pharaoh on the one side, and the complaint, or even sometimes the opposition of the children of Israel on the other side, and Moses stands in the middle. And he's going to have to deal with both sides. And so, perhaps instead of speaking of the struggle between Moses and Pharaoh, we should say, maybe more appropriately say, that this is the struggle between God and the children of Israel and Pharaoh. And so, it is in this opening chapter here in Exodus chapter 5, that we find the beginning of those struggle, which, by the way, the struggle that's going to begin here, now we could say it began 40 years prior, when Moses tried to deliver them when he was 40 years of age. Uh, And um, I guess they did not receive him. They rejected him as uh, the deliverer. And we're going to find here in this very chapter, in the opening scene, they have just accepted Moses as the leader. And in this very chapter, they're going to condemn Moses. And we're going to see for, for the reason why they did that. But the struggle that's going to start here between Moses and the children of Israel is going to last for the entirety of Moses' life. Now think about that. For the entirety of Moses' life, he's going to be... Now there's going to be some great days. There's going to be some conflicts. As a matter of fact, the conflicts are going to be so severe between Moses and the children of Israel that at one point God is going to open up the earth and swallow a bunch of them. So it gets pretty serious, but we see that start here in this chapter. In this chapter, Moses finds himself in the middle of a conflict on both ends of uh, this calling. Moses would be in conflict with the Egyptian Pharaoh, and he would also be in conflict with the children of Israel. So I want to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to uh, try to get some things where we can learn. We assume that the first time that Moses came to Pharaoh is when he said, Let the people go, and then he, Aaron put the rod down and became the snake. That's not what happened. Okay, that doesn't happen till later. This is the first meeting between uh, Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. So let's read about it here in Exodus chapter 5. And I don't know if you've ever been to this place, but maybe you've heard a story and then you assume things. And here we come to Exodus chapter 5, and I assume that in this first conversation that Moses is going to say to Pharaoh, let the people go, God's got a promised land for them, that's where he wants them to be, he's going to divide the land, it's a land full of, with, with milk and honey, but that's not what he's going to say at all. So let's look here, Exodus 5 verse 1, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the what? The wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Uh, Go where? Just to go in the wilderness to hold a feast. That that was all the request. Again, the request is not, they're leaving permanently to go to the promised land. That's not the request. The request is, let the people go so they can hold a feast in the wilderness. Uh, Verse 3, And they said, that's Moses and Aaron, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So, in this first meeting, judgment is not pronounced on Pharaoh if he doesn't let them go. Judgment is pronounced on the children of Israel if they don't go in the wilderness to hold a feast and to sacrifice to the Lord. You see that? That's the first meeting. Verse 4, The king and the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded uh, the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick. As heretofore, let them go and gather straw for themselves, and the tail of the bricks which they did make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them, ye shall not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let their more work be laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. The vain words, what? Go hold a feast. Go sacrifice to the Lord. Pharaoh said that's vain words. Verse 10, And the taskmasters of the people went out and their officers, and they spake to the people, saying, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go ye get you straw where ye, sh- ye, where ye can find it, yet not aught of your work shall be diminished. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters hastened them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily tasks, as when there was straw. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded, Wherefore have ye not filled your task in making brick both yesterday and today, as heretofore? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servants? There is no straw given unto thy servants, and they say to us, Make brick. And behold, thy servants are beaten, but the fault is in thine own people. But he said, Ye are idle, ye are idle. Therefore ye say, Let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. Go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given you, yet shall ye deliver the tale of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case. After it was said, ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. And they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, the Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh, and in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Now, I want to bring your attention to verse 2, to what Pharaoh said. He asks, uh, it's one question, but it's really two questions, but there's two questions in one question. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice to let Israel go? I want to preach on this uh, question and maybe with those words, who is the Lord that I should? That I should. Who is the Lord that I should? As we look here at our passage, I'm going to give you the three points from this chapter and then we'll expound on those. The first uh, part of the chapter, we're going to look at the request of Moses. Now, the request of Moses, as we noted, is not what we might anticipate at the first meeting. Then, secondly, we're going to look at the resentment of Pharaoh. It's uh, very clear that Pharaoh, the way he deals with Moses and Aaron, talks about the Lord and then deals with the children of Israel, there is a clear resentment in Pharaoh uh, towards God. Towards Moses and Aaron towards the children of Israel, and we'll examine that, and then we'll look at the reaction of Israel by what happened, and then how Moses responds to that. So let's look first of all in our passage at the request of Moses. I, I think we learned some things from this request. Again, if you remember, the Lord had instructed Moses what to say to Pharaoh. If you turn back with me in chapter 4, just one page over, you remember... The Lord says to Moses, when you go to Pharaoh, this is what you're going to say to Pharaoh. Notice Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. So the request here, God told Moses, this is what let my son go. Now we come to Exodus chapter 5, and we see Moses and Aaron. Now Aaron is the spokesman, and he's going to speak, and we find really two requests, and yet they're different but the same. So the first time they speak is verse 1. The second time is verse 3. So notice those two requests. Verse 1 Um, They told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. So, the request is a temporary request. It's not a permanent one. It's not, the request, uh, the way it's presented here is not a relocation from Egypt to the promised land to Canaan. It is would you let us go? And here was three-day journey into the wilderness to hold a feast unto the Lord. That is a temporary request. And then in uh, verse 3, And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So as we look here at the request of Moses here in, It's not what it seems. And as a matter of fact, as we study through the conversations between Moses and Aaron, between Pharaoh, actually at no point in this whole process is there a discussion between Moses and Pharaoh as to a permanent relocation. Now this may shock you, but that's the truth. As far as I know and as far as I've read. We're going to find in just a moment that The only one who in the end promoted a permanent relocation was Pharaoh himself. The request begins as a temporary request to go into the wilderness, three days journey, temporarily. But by the time this is all said and done, with Moses and Aaron never asking for a permanent relocation, Pharaoh gives them a permanent relocation. Now, we'll see that in just a moment. Now, I want to think about those requests here because it's most instructive. The request is not in verse 1. The Lord of Israel said, Let my people go, that they may go into a land flowing with milk and honey, which I prepare for them, that I may divide them the land and by each tribe. That is not the request. Let the people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Now, this is really important here Remember, when I talked about the theme of the book of Exodus in the first message, the theme comes from Exodus chapter 19 where God says, You see what I did unto the Egyptians uh, in Egypt, how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto Myself. Remember, that's what the Lord said. And so here when we see the request, it's not so much about a land flowing with milk and honey as much as it is about God or or them meeting with God in the wilderness. You see, this request is not about what they're going to receive from God in a land flowing with milk and honey, but rather what they will give to God in the wilderness. Now this is, I think, fundamental to our understanding of as we think about the general subject of redemption. This is the redemption, the physical redemption of the nation of Israel. Out of Egyptian bondage. But again, uh, here he says the the, the request throughout uh, Exodus chapter 5 all the way to Exodus chapter 13 is let the people go that they may serve me. In other words, when Moses speaks or Aaron speaks to Pharaoh, they never say to Pharaoh, let the people go so that God can give them a land. He says, let the people go so that God's people can serve Him. Now that's important, I think, to our understanding of God. God is not at our disposal. We are at His disposal. May I remind you that He is the Creator. We are not. We are the creation. Now He has redeemed us, but we are at His disposal not the other way around. And so here this is not about, now the land is going to be the outcome of this, but it's not about the land. Rather it is about the one who they would find out would be sufficient in the wilderness. And they need to learn that before they get to the promised land. And they will. They're going to learn, by the way, it's not going to be in the promised land, they're going to learn not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. They're going to learn that in the wilderness. And, and so the wilderness is going to be important for them. Again, not about the land. This is about the one who is sufficient in the wilderness. Now, the second request. So the first one, uh, let the people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Verse 3. Um Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, uh, lest um, He fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Now I want you to notice here because he mentions, we, we see several things within this request. First of all, we see here again, this is God wanting to bring the people out of Egyptian bondage So that they in the wilderness can have a meeting with God. And it's going to be a meeting. It is in the book of Exodus that the law is going to be given. It is in the book of Exodus that the law for the national Israel is going to be dispensed, the judicial law. It is going to be in the wilderness that the tabernacle is going to be instituted and all that pictures Christ is going to be given to the children of Israel. That is all going to happen not in the promised land but in the wilderness. So how important is this wilderness time? And so the wilderness is what? We have to think about the wilderness as it's not just about a desert place. It's not about the quails and it's not about the manna. It's about a meeting with God. That's what it's about. Now, when we look at those requests, it is evident here that when we think about a meeting with God... We see that God is the initiator of that meeting. And and by the way, God is always the initiator of fellowship. Uh, It it was God, remember in Exodus chapter 1, it was God that saw the bondage of the people. It was God that heard the cry by reason of the taskmasters. It was God that said, I am come down to deliver them. And so God... Um, uh, God does what man, here in the book of Exodus, He does what man cannot do for himself. But notice here in the language of the request, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me. Verse 3, Sacrifice unto the Lord our God. And so we see here that a meeting with God was is a meeting where God is the initiator of that meeting. God is the one who wanted to bring them out so that He could be; they could be with Him. And by the way, God has always been the initiator. From the very beginning, when the sin of Adam and Eve, when they fell in the Garden of Eden, and when God came in the Garden on that day, where were Adam and Eve? They were hiding. But God was seeking them. Why? He wanted fellowship with them as he had always been. We also see here that this was a... We see that a secluded place was the appointment. It's in the wilderness. You see, this appointment was outside of Egypt, which is a picture of the world, but it's also outside of Canaan. (laughs) This appointed place is in the wilderness. We, We would say that, well, God, could you pick a better place for us to meet? Could you play, uh, pick a place where there's actually food? Could, could you pick a place that is more convenient for us? And so we know that our appointment, uh, our appointed place is a place, what we're going to learn here in the book of Exodus, the appointed place is a place where we learn that God is sufficient. The reason why I say that is, remember, no water. God brought water. Where no water could come from. No food? God brought food. Where no food could come from. Those are spiritual lessons, not just physical lessons, where the truth is communicated. God did this, we know. God gave the manna daily, so that men would, live, uh, would learn to live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so when we think about the wilderness, it is a secluded place, Was uh, a secluded place was uh, the appointment. And, uh, you know, we, we have to get to the place where we don't worship God and we don't come to God because our life is comfortable and our life is blessed. We learn to depend on God and learn that God is sufficient no matter what our circumstances are, even if they seem to be unfavorable towards us. We also see that a sacrifice was what the Lord required. They mention here, we need a sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Now we think about a sacrifice, it's interesting here that, I mean, we've seen it, you know, throughout the book of Genesis, just mentioned here and there, one of the main examples is Abraham and Isaac offering his son Isaac as a sacrifice. But it's about to become a regular thing for the nation of Israel. I don't think it was regular up to this point, but it's about to become a regular thing for the nation of Israel. Well, what is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is a twofold picture. It's a picture of innocence and guilt in one. Uh, the innocent taking on the punishment of the guilty. That's what a sacrifice is. When they hold a sacrifice, that means what? There is sin. And so the sacrifice means that someone who is innocent has to bear the punishment of the one who is guilty. And that's what's going to happen there in this meeting in the wilderness. But we also see that a judgment was promised upon a disobedient Israel. Notice, so far, so far, they have not threatened Pharaoh with any plagues. In the first meeting, we don't see that. We don't see, now you better let the people go or God's going to judge you. No, it says, You need need to let the people go so that they can hold hold a feast unto God. You need to let the people go so they can sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest He judge us. We need to do this for God. So please let us go so that God doesn't come on us and judge us. You see, the judgment here is not initially promised to the Pharaoh. Rather, the judgment is promised to the children of Israel. When we think about a feast unto the Lord and a sacrifice unto the Lord, those are two different things. Holding a feast unto the Lord, a feast is what? It's about praise and rejoicing unto the Lord. That's what a feast typically is about. It's a commemoration for what the Lord has done, how He's worked in our lives, the the great things He's done for us. That's typically what a feast was for. But there's also a sacrifice. So, a sacrifice brings us to the word repent, where we repent of our sin before God. Throughout the Bible, that's the testimony of a sacrifice. We've sinned against God. Here is innocent blood offered for sin. So think about it. what's going to happen in the wilderness. Is two things for Israel. Two things for Israel. Rejoicing and repentance. They need to hold a feast unto me. They need a sacrifice to the Lord our God. You know, it's interesting that those were to be the two things. Rejoicing and repentance. You see, rejoicing and repentance are actually joined together. Actually, they are not. you cannot separate them. They are two sides of the same coin. They are different practices. On the one hand, you praise God for who He is. You rejoice in who God is. But on the other, on the, on the other side, you repent because you know that God is holy and you're sinful. And yet... I think we all understand that there is no true rejoicing in the goodness of God until there's a repentance where man experiences the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of God that is undeserved. But yet they're together. You see, I I believe that the happiest Christians in the world today are those who regularly repent before a holy God of the areas in their lives that are unlike the Lord. And you know what that does? It produces rejoicing. Why? Because if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why wouldn't we want that? You see, but the humility of repentance brings about the period of rejoicing in God's goodness towards us. So that's what's going to happen in the wilderness. They're going to rejoice in the Lord and they're going to repent in the Lord. And that's going to be something that, by the way, they're going to insert different types of feasts in the wilderness. They're going to have really different types of sacrifices. You're going to see those implemented and for different reasons and all those things. But the two main themes is rejoice and repent. And that's something that we have to constantly do as well in our lives if we're going to be dependent on the Lord. Now, as we look at this request... The request of Moses, I think that I've learned something by that. Because if you, so notice the the request was, let the people go that they may hold a feast unto unto me in the wilderness. Verse 3, let the people go so that they can sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Uh, Let's go to chapter 6, notice verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh... For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of this land. His, now now think about it here. Initially in the rejection of Exodus chapter 5, the request to Pharaoh was three days, feast, sacrifice unto the Lord, temporary in nature. But now God, and by the way, that was the request. Let the people go so that they can serve God temporarily. And what's going to happen, and by the end, is God tells Moses in Exodus chapter 6 verse 1, what's going to happen by the end of this thing, what's going to happen, although you've requested just for a temporary journey in the wilderness to have feasts and sacrifices, what's going to happen in the end of this thing is that He is going to let you go, and He actually is going to drive you out permanently. Now, some people have said, well, look, Moses disobeyed God. He did not uh, say to Pharaoh what God asked him uh, to say to Pharaoh. I-, I don't think so. I think Moses actually ex- asked exactly what the Lord wanted him to ask. I think, as, uh, now notice here, let, let's look through those requests. Um, go to chapter 7. Now, we're going to be flipping here through those next chapters, because I want to show you here this. Exodus chapter 7, notice verse 16. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may what? Serve Serve me in the where? Wilderness. Wilderness. Okay. Go to chapter 8, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may what? Serve Serve me. Any mention of a a new land uh, flowing with milk and honey or anything like that? No. Verse 8 of chapter 8 then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. Now, notice Pharaoh's going to remember that. Initially, the request is the sacrifice. Now, if you take away the frog, I'll go, I'll let you temporarily in the wilderness to go sacrifice unto the Lord your God. Um, notice chapter 8, verse 20. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, And tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Notice chapter 9, verse 13. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. Chapter 10, verse 3. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Notice. Chapter 10, verse 24. So, Plague 9 happens in verse 21 of chapter 10. Notice verse 24 of chapter 10. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also be with you. And Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Again, the discussion after plague number 9, the discussion is still for a temporary reprisal to go in the wilderness and to sacrifice unto the Lord and then to come back. That's why he says you can keep all your stuff here. It was temporary. And so Pharaoh says, Well, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you this... To go temporarily—that's the discussion. There is no really nothing permanent happening in the in the mind of Pharaoh, or even in the mind of Moses and Aaron, because that's not been their request. The request is let them go three days so they can serve God. That's all, so far. Now go to chapter eleven. Notice verse one. And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt afterward. He will let you go hence, when He shall let you go, He shall surely thrust you out hence, what's the next word? Altogether. Altogether. So here, you see what's happening? The request initially was a reasonable request. Let God's people go just three days journey into the wilderness to offer a feast unto the Lord, and to offer sacrifice to the Lord. And the request after this is, let them go that they may serve God. Let them go that they may serve God. Pharaoh, after plague 9, says, I'll let you go temporarily, but you can't. So At one point, he says, just let the men go. Another point, keep the herds back. And, and, and he said, no, we have to have sacrifice. And here God says, before the last plague comes, I want you to know what's going to happen. So far, the deal has only been temporary in nature. But God is going to move in such a way in the heart of Pharaoh and harden his heart that he, Pharaoh, is going to thrust you out altogether. Which is where we understand how, why God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You see, here's the wonderful thing about God. I don't know if I'll be able to communicate this clearly. But Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God, towards the people of Israel... Because he didn't want them to go three days journey to hold a feast and to offer sacrifice. So God says, you you want to harden your heart? I'll harden your heart even more. And so God would harden the heart of Pharaoh to the point where Pharaoh's heart is going to be so hard at one point that Pharaoh himself is not just going to offer them to go into the wilderness three days journey to offer a feast to the Lord and to offer sacrifices, but Pharaoh himself is going to permanently throw them out of Egypt. The request will be let the people go that they may serve me. And Pharaoh's gonna says, I want you out altogether. Notice in chapter 12 verse 31. So after plague 10, this is after the firstborn dies, verse 31. Pharaoh, and he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both thee and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as ye have said and be gone. I don't want to see you again. That's what it means. Be gone. Don't come back. And bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste For they said, we be all dead men. So what's going to happen here by the end of this thing is that the request of just going to the wilderness to hold a feast, to go into the wilderness, sacrifice to the Lord. By the end of the plagues, Pharaoh says, just go altogether, leave. Don't come back. That's what's going to happen. And so, the question was asked, often Moses was criticized for making that request because they say, well, that's not what God told him to say. No, I think that's exactly what God told him to say. And God, in the end, gave the children of Israel a better deal than they requested. Despite the opposition. Do you see how God works? Despite all the opposition and the evil heart of Pharaoh, in the end, they end up getting a better deal than they asked for. I think it was just a testimony so that people could see how great God was. Now, that's the request of Moses. But then we see the resentment of Pharaoh. And notice here, so the request, verse 1 and verse 3, in the middle of this, Pharaoh, he speaks... And notice what he says. I think what he says is really most instructive. He says, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Now, I think based on what we see even later, we find that Pharaoh's resentment is clear. He's going to make later... The burden heavier on the children of Israel. He's not going to give them straw, which really is what keeps keeps the mortar together. If they didn't have some form of straw, it doesn't matter how many bricks they built, they would fall apart and crumble. So they end up using uh, some other type of uh, material, some other type of vegetation and plant. But the point is the straw was the most common thing that was used for the building of bricks. and, and so he's not going to provide them, and yet he wants them to fulfill the same requirement that they did previously. And not only that, when they don't fulfill that, he's going to beat them. And so there's a clear resentment here on the part of Pharaoh. But I believe that all of this is found in those two questions. So as much as we could go through every verse in this chapter, it all comes from verse 2. Who is the Lord? Now, it's one question. Who is the Lord? Notice, that I should obey his voice. So that's really two questions. The first question is, who is the Lord? And the second question is, why should I obey his voice? Now, Pharaoh then answers those two questions. He says, I know not the Lord. So he answers his own question. Who is the Lord? I know not the Lord. Second question, why should I obey him? Neither will I let Israel go. Now, those two questions are really inseparable. The answer to the second question is predicated on the answer to the first question. Who is the Lord? Why shall I let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, therefore I'm not going to let Israel go. So the second question is predicated on the first question. The question who is really foundational to all, all of the questions. The question why, why should I Letters will go. Why should I obey the voice of the Lord? The question why is always answered by the who question. Now notice here. Who is the Lord? Why should I? Do you see that? One is a focus on God. The other is a focus on me. Who is the Lord that I should? Now. He's basically saying, why should I, based on the answer of the first question? Now, I think that, hopefully we understand this by now, that God's authority must be understood and acknowledged if we ever intend on being obedient to Him. God's authority uh, must be understood and acknowledged if we are ever going to be obedient to Him The only reason why Pharaoh didn't think that he wanted to obey the Lord is because he did not know who God was. He didn't know God. You know, it's interesting. Didn't Saul ask the same question in Acts chapter 9? Now, we we went through Acts. You remember the question that Saul asked? Who art thou, Lord? What's the second question? What wilt thou have me to do? Who is the Lord? What wilt thou have me to do? The second question is answered by the first question. So Pharaoh doesn't know the Lord, therefore he's not going to obey the Lord. Let's not be confused when the world says, who is the Lord, and then doesn't obey Him. Let's not be confused by all that is going on in the world. We know where that comes from. It comes from the fundamental question, Who is the Lord? And if the world says, I know not the Lord, then the world will not obey His voice. It is that simple. And so here Pharaoh said, I'm not going to listen to God. By the way, Saul thought the same. Who art thou, Lord? When he found out that the Lord was Jesus Christ, then he served God. Why? Because he understood who God was. You see, the question of who is the Lord affects everything in this life. So, when we are not serving God, we have to go back to the first question. Not focus on the second question. Because the second question, I believe, will take care of itself when we answer the first question right. Now, so, upon knowing the Lord, now that was true in the case of Saul, and for many of uh, the people that are seen throughout Scripture... Upon knowing the Lord, obedience is always the natural next step. Always the natural next step. And so Pharaoh goes on and based on that, no wonder he is so cruel to the children of Israel. Notice in verse 4, he says, And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. So, I think a further area that aggravated Pharaoh was that I think some of the people had already stopped working. I mean, that's what Pharaoh says. You make the people stop, from, stop doing their work. It's your fault that they're not working anymore. So it seems that the people, right, from chapter 4, who had believed, who had believed in Moses and Aaron, now they get to the place where they probably had stopped working because they're expecting deliverance. Now, Moses forgot one part of the message that God told him, and that was that the people would receive, but Pharaoh would reject. So he forgot to tell the people that. But Moses knows that the people don't know that, and so here Moses and Aaron are blamed because apparently the people have stopped. They're expecting a deliverance now, and um, and by the way, I mean they believe the Lord, but their expectation was wrong. You know, God has promises, but sometimes we have the wrong expectations with God's promises. Is God going to deliver them? Yes but it's not going to be done their way and in their time. See, sometimes just because we think that things are not done our way and in our time, then we think that God's promises are not valid. That happens. But that's not the case. Right? It's, it's, the problem is not the promise of God. The problem is the expectation about the promise of God. So, and by the way, that's why Israel missed the Messiah. They were looking for a political emancipator, not a spiritual savior. The wrong expectation of the promise of God. Now, if we keep reading here, Pharaoh is so cruel, he says in verse 7, "...ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick as heretofore..." Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and the tell of the bricks, which they did make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them, ye shall not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle, therefore they cry, saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God." So you can see the resentment in Pharaoh's orders, right? They're idle. <laughs> they're slaves, they're not idle. They're, they're working from sunup to sundown. Uh, but it, it, this speaks of resentment. You see that? It's coming out of his words. Uh, he says in verse uh, 9, Let there more work be laid upon the men that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. That shows the resentment again. They're idle. They're listening to vain words. And so this all comes from a, a resentment uh, that comes from what? Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? I, I don't know God. So why would, you, why would you, Moses, tell me what to do? And so people do that with Christians today. They resent the Christian because the Christian says that marriage is between one man and one woman. Who are you to tell us how we ought to live our lives? It's just what God says. And you should obey His voice too. I don't know the Lord. That's why they behave the way they do. We have a growing segment. uh, The government is... Promoting the mutilation of children in gender reassignment surgeries. Where does that come from? Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? What is a man? What is a woman? It comes from this fundamental question. And then what happens is, when you don't answer that first question right, then those who speak the truth are resented. Idle words. They're listening to Pharaoh. They're holding to that old Bible. That old ancient document. Nobody ever believes that anyways in the 21st century. It comes from that. So the resentment of Pharaoh. Uh, Not only that, the taskmasters are becoming more mean. The the children of Israel are being beaten. In other words, it was all done purposefully. They they knew that they would not be able to keep up with the work. So all of this is just cruelty. uh, Cruelty. I mean, the children of Israel, they, they knew they were not idle. Verse 12 says, So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather uh, stubble instead of straw. So the, the work, they're trying to, to meet the demand. There is uh, obviously, uh, what do you call it today? We, uh, what is it called? Uh, the what? Yeah, the, the quota. They're not meaning the quota, but what you're, we're facing today, you're right, the ships are not coming on time. What is that called? Uh, The supply chain. (laughs) There was a supply chain problem. No straw. They had to make their own supply chain. Before, apparently, the Egyptians had it organized to where the supply chain for straw was met, and now the supply chain was completely gone. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. So, I mean, this is very cruel. So, We see the request of Moses, the resentment of Pharaoh, but then we come to the last point, and I guess this is where we learn some things, and that is the reaction of Israel. We'll we'll see this will prompt also the reaction of Moses, but notice the reaction of Israel. We pick it up in verse 15, and the Bible says, Then the officers of the children of Israel, so those who were in charge. Now, those are the people that Moses and Aaron had met with. Those who were in charge are probably the different tribes of Israel. They came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with us thy servants? There is no straw given unto thy servants, And they say to us, Make brick, and behold, thy servants are beaten. But the fault is in thine own people. That that makes sense. It was not their fault that they were not able to meet the quota. The Egyptians messed it up purposefully, and then they beat them because they didn't meet the quota. Verse 17, But he said, Ye are idle. Ye (laughs) are idle. Well, they bit, the Bible says they were scattered all throughout the country of Egypt looking for anything to replace the straw. They knew they were not idle. Therefore you say, let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. Do you see, do you see all the mockery? You should be working and you just want to go sacrifice to God. You want to serve God. Pathetic people. Go therefore now and work for there shall no straw be given you yet shall you deliver the tell of bricks. Now, I want to examine here in three parts of the reaction. We'll see the cry to Pharaoh. Then we're going to see the condemnation of Moses. And then we're going to see the complaint to God. Notice here we see the cry to Pharaoh. Now, I think that them coming to Pharaoh is a mistake. They're mistaking to think that they can find help in a man who's developed a resentment for God and for them. Um. So, the cry to Pharaoh, we see, I think it was a, we see by that a misplaced faith. And we also see a spiritual apathy in the children of Israel. Now, the Bible says in verse 15, they cried unto Pharaoh. (laughs) I was reading one preacher says, how true of human nature is this? Instead of crying unto the Lord, these leaders of the Israelites turned unto Pharaoh for relief. Doubtless they hoped to appeal to his pity or to his sense of justice. Surely they could show him that his demands were unreasonable and impossible of fulfillment. Alas, the natural man ever prefers to lean upon the arm of flesh than to be supported by God's invisible hand. And I said, well, they should have gone. I mean, he's the one that, that made this. But the trouble is that they thought they could find help in him. Didn't God, Moses, announce deliverance? Why are they going to Pharaoh? For relief. Shouldn't they found relief with God? Ask God. And so I think here that we see a misplaced faith. In other words, their first inclination is not to ask God, to cry out to God. It's to cry out to Pharaoh. Now, when they come to Moses, Moses' first inclination is going to be to cry out to God. But that's not their first inclination. So we see here, I think it's a misplaced faith, but also a spiritual apathy on their part. Um, verse 16, There is no straw given unto thy servants, and they say to us, Make brick. And behold, thy servants are beaten, but the fault is in thine own people. You see, they came to Pharaoh about, do you notice know, what they're They came to Pharaoh about the difficulties of their work, but not about the denial of their worship of God. You remember what the request was? Let the people go so that they can hold a feast to God. Let the people go so that they can offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And here when they come to Pharaoh, they're concerned about the difficulty of their work, but they're not concerned about the denial of their worship of God. Well, during COVID we saw all that unfold, didn't we? What were people concerned about? Seems that very little people within the Christian realm were concerned about the denial of their worship of God. Which is, by the way, a very reasonable request. So I think that communicates a spiritual apathy. Misplaced faith and spiritual apathy in their lives. So we see the cry to Pharaoh, but then we see the condemnation of Moses. Moses. Verse 20 says, And they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. So I think that what happened there, based on the language that we find, is the officer of the, of the children of Israel went into Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron were kind of waiting to hear what's going to happen. Because as they leave, the Bible says that Moses and Aaron stood in the way. So it seems that they're waiting for them to see how the meeting went. Well, it didn't go well. And so, verse 21, And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh, and in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. So here's the direct accusation they made to Moses and Aaron. You're trying to kill us. <laughs> right? You took a sword and you put it in the hand of of Pharaoh so that he could kill us. That's basically what they're saying to Aaron and Pharaoh. You're trying to kill us. That's what you're trying to do. Now, where did that come from? It came from misplaced faith and spiritual apathy. Those who have a misplaced faith and are in a spiritual apathy often come to the wrong conclusions and pronounce often false judgment. Now, we are supposed to r- judge righteous judgments. We're instructed as believers to judge. No matter what the world is saying, don't judge, don't judge, judge not, judge not. No, we're supposed to judge righteous judgment. The, the the context of judge not that Jesus Christ is teaching is don't hold somebody out to the standard that you're not willing to hold yourself. Deal with yourself first, so then you can help somebody else. That's, that's the whole premise of that. Now, that was free. That was beside the point. Just thought I'd put that out there. Notice what they did. They blamed Moses and not Pharaoh for their hard bondage. Do you see that? Moses was the one who instituted the harsher punishment and the cruelty and yet they say it's Moses' fault. That is false irrational judgment. Why? Well I think because there's a misplaced faith. They're looking to man instead of God and Uh, there's really a spiritual apathy because they're more interested in having a lighter workload than they are in worshiping God in the wilderness. And so because of that, there's not a thirst for God uh, because that they're looking to man instead of God for the answers of life. They come to the wrong conclusions and so now Moses is blamed for the bondage and not Pharaoh who is the author of the bondage. You know, how quick we are to blame everybody else, right? Right? It's everybody else who's wrong and not me. That's a very dangerous place to be. So they blame Moses and not Pharaoh for their bonds. But then we see that they blame Moses and not Pharaoh as the instigator of the cruelty against them. Notice, as the instigator. In other words, the first that they say, God's going to judge you for what you did. Moses and Aaron and then they give them the assignment of you're the instigator you gave the sword to Pharaoh to do what he did so obviously here the reaction of Israel is is irrational and that comes from a misplaced faith, and spiritual apathy. But lastly, we come to the complaint to God. So Moses, verse 22, returned unto the Lord. Now, I like that expression, returned. You know what that means? He was there before. So before he met them, he was with the Lord. And after he met them, Now, that'll that'll teach us here because we may have a spiritual high. Then something happens in our lives. Circumstances. Somebody says something. And then immediately we we get punched in the gut. You know where we need to go? Return to God. You're you're, you're being attacked. Return. Just go back to the place you came from. (laughs) Don't, Don't respond. Return like Moses did unto the Lord. Now, I think that Moses was right in what he did, but he was not right in what he said. Do you notice here what he says to the Lord? Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh, I speak in thy name. He hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people... At all. There's, this is reminiscent of Genesis chapter 3. Adam, why would you do that? Eve. Eve, why would you do that? Well, the serpent. But you remember ultimately, remember what, what, what Adam said? There's like a little salty in there. He says, The woman thou gavest me. So, who did Adam blame ultimately? God. So, it's Moses' fault. Uh, no, <laughs> Pharaoh's fault. <laughs> Misspoke there. The children blame Moses. It's not Moses' fault. Moses blames God for the evil done to them. Now, <clears throat> I want you to see here what there's there's several errors in the words of of Moses and lest we be so quick to judge Moses lest we be so quick to judge Moses these are very reminiscent I think of what we might do as well would we admit that notice the first one God was to be blamed for the evil of Pharaoh God was to be blamed for the evil of Pharaoh Moses said, Wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? God, why did you do this? You know, it's interesting that that's what the world says. Why did God do this? Right? So, a man does evil. They'll think about the worst example in history. Adolf Hitler. And they'll think, well, why did God do this? Well, God didn't do it. Adolf Hitler did that. He is the evil man. God is not evil. But often we might blame God for evil that comes in our lives or in the lives of somebody else while we know where evil comes from. It comes from the devil. Or it comes from sin. It comes from men the reason why they are suffering in this world, is because of sin, not because of God. Yes, God cursed the earth, but He cursed the earth because of sin. So, God here was to be blamed for the evil of Pharaoh. Then we see that God's calling on Moses was questioned. Do you see what He says at the end of verse 22? Why is it that thou hast sent me? You know, we, we, we might do that. We might first of all say, well, God, why would you do this? And the next step is, well, why would you even send me? Now, the children of Israel didn't know that Pharaoh would not be receptive, but, but, but Moses did. Moses knew. God told him, Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. He had told him that. F.B. Meyer said, he says, We must never suppose that the difficulties which confront us indicate that we are not on God's path and doing His work. You know, just because there's difficulties along the way does not mean that we're not serving God or that we shouldn't serve God. You know, sometimes people do that. They, they, they may think, oh, there's difficulty? Oh, it must not be God's will. Sometimes even people may pray this, and I, I think that that's dangerous for us to do so, where we may say, well, God, if you bring opposition in my way, then that means it's not your will. And if I go to a city and preach the gospel, and if they don't listen, then I'll just go somewhere else. Well, the opposition might be God's will. Continue until God calls you to do something else. You see, Moses' calling was clear. Bring the people out of Egyptian bondage. That hasn't been done. The calling has not changed. But what Moses does is he questions God's calling. Uh, James Smith, in his Handful on Purpose, says, Who has ever achieved great things for him without having overcome bitter and desperate conditions? You know, God does not promise a smooth road ahead. He promises His presence with all the bumps on the road. Our calling is not determined by quick success or even success in the eyes of men. Our calling is determined by the will of God. Is it what God wants? So we see that God was to be blamed for the evil of Pharaoh. God's calling on Moses was questioned. But also we see that God is attacked over a false expectation of unfulfilled promises. You see what he says, verse 23. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name. <laughs> see how he prays that? To speak in thy name. He hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. No, he could have just said, neither has thou delivered thy people. No, he adds the... You know the jab we often put, add, just add a few words at the end of a sentence that don't need to be added? That's what Moses did here. At all. You know, I, I do that sometimes. If, if I get back service somewhere, my wife knows that and says, I will never there, go there again. I always said, No, that's an exaggeration. I said, Yeah, you're right. That's an exaggeration. <laughs> well, maybe for a week then. Not ever. And so here, Moses, at all. You see, Moses had already been instructed on this matter that Pharaoh would resist, would not listen, and that God would have to do mighty works to bring the people out of Egyptian bondage. Do you see what Moses said? You have not delivered the people at all. Now, in the physical realm, does it seem to us that things are getting worse? Right? In chapter 5, they're getting worse. Okay, let's just think of the physical realm. I know we, we, we're faith, faith, we believe. In the physical realm, they just got worse in Exodus chapter 5. And you know what? As you go along, it'll get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But in the end, as we mentioned earlier, it's going to be Pharaoh himself who's going to say... Leave and don't come back. So it got worse, but it got better. Do you see that? It got worse, but it got better. Why? Because as it got worse, God, when Pharaoh hardened his heart, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And God pushed Pharaoh all the way to the place where he was so far removed from God that he got to the place where he himself made the decision, Pharaoh did, to not just send the children of Israel out in the wilderness for three days' journey, but to have them leave permanently. If, as I mentioned, that was never asked by the children of Israel. So you see, we might have thought that God would have worked, you know, we, we might think that as things go along, the ten plagues, I like, it gets better and better, you know. Take the first step and, oh, that gets better. We see uh, Pharaoh soften his heart a little bit, you know. We, we see, oh, the next plague, oh, it, it got a little better. It, 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 you see, we see some, some progress in his heart. No, not at all. It got worse. Just because it gets worse does not mean that God is not working and does not mean that God is not going to bring about what He said He would bring about for the children of Israel. So where does that leave us? It leaves us to the place, I think Pharaoh asked the right question. Who is the Lord? That I should obey Him. Well, if we know who He is, then we know we should obey Him. But it's dependent on that. Who is the Lord? You see, we may not know all that happens here or why it happens but if we know who the, who the Lord is we're learning here before we even get to the wilderness that God can be trusted. We, we get the benefit of knowing the end when they're marching out of Egypt. But we often don't like the process. You see we, we speak of redemption here. Egyptian redemption from Egyptian bondage. But often we neglect to study the process that got the children of Israel the freedom to serve God. It got worse before it got better. So uh, may the Lord help us to, to think about those things and to trust the Lord come what may.